Hello and welcome to episode 13 of EV Brief, your weekly bite-sized electric vehicle and sustainable transport podcast. On today's episode, we'll be looking at how last mile deliveries are becoming more environmentally friendly. Uh, We'll be talking Tesla's recent awards and achievements, and there's plenty of other auto news as well to get through, with a number of electric vehicles presented during the annual Goodwood Festival of Speed last week. A new partnership between Ford and Volkswagen, and Mini unveiled the Cooper SE to the world's media. All this and more on today's show. Last mile delivery is simply the movement of goods from a transport or postage facility to the final destination, typically a residence. The goal of last mile delivery is to deliver items as quickly and efficiently as possible. Seems pretty obvious really, but did you know last mile shipping can reach on average 30% of the total cost to transport goods? For years, logistics companies have been looking for ways to streamline deliveries and electric vehicles are going to be central to reducing costs, pollution and inefficiencies. Walmart-owned Indian e-commerce company Flipkart has announced a plan to bring in uh, electric vehicles for its last mile deliveries, with an aim to replace 40% of its existing fleet of delivery vans in India with EVs by March 2020. Not only can Flipkart reduce the dependence on conventional power sources, aiming to reduce emissions by at least 50%, they hope that adoption of electric vehicle technology at scale will bring down costs of production and bring awareness to the technology. Now it's great to see this technology kicking off in India where a growing middle class requires more goods to be delivered more often, but why haven't we seen EV delivery vehicles in Europe, America or Australia? Primarily, it has come down to unit cost and a lack of charging infrastructure. And although Nissan and Renault make electric delivery vehicles, the uptake has yet to be significant. But with the increasing awareness of the problems associated with pollution and noise in big cities, and the introduction of low emission zones in cities like Berlin and London, it's only a matter of time before electric delivery vehicles are on the streets. As logistics and e-commerce companies face pressure from rising business expenses, the benefits of an electric fleet with low maintenance costs and an approximate reduction in fuel costs of 75% begin to look very attractive. Let's get into some automotive news now, and the famous Goodwood Festival of Speed took place last weekend. For those who aren't familiar with the event, Goodwood is probably the UK's premier automotive festival, based around the historic Goodwood House in West Sussex. It's usually associated with all things fuel burning. With many displays of uh, historic and modern vehicles, the event is centred around a 1.86km hill climb course, and until this year, the fastest time by a car up that course was set by a McLaren F1 car, with a time of 41.6 seconds. This year, however, Volkswagen's uh, electric prototype, the IDR, has beaten that record with a time of 39.9 seconds, proving the potency of electric drivetrains. Now, in terms of production cars that were unveiled at Goodwood, there were a number of uh, what marketing departments like to call dynamic premieres, or what you and I would call a car driving on a road. Mark Webber drove the Union Jack-adorned Porsche Taycan up the hill climb track, offering the first glimpse of the near-production sedan for UK buyers. At a somewhat slower pace, Honda offered a dynamic premiere of its cute Honda e at Goodwood, and the limited production Aston Martin Rapide E also hit the tarmac. Polestar presented its production-ready Polestar 2 model to UK audiences for the first time, uh, though they only sent the Polestar 1 hybrid up the Goodwood hill climb course. Also, Lotus provided a sneak peek of its Evaya electric hypercar through a limited uh, 
limited light show that basically revealed very little, uh, to be honest, though the car maker is promising a launch where we can actually see the car on July 16. On to other automotive news now, and Volkswagen AG commenced production of core componentry for its upcoming all-electric ID3 model this week. The Zwickau plant in Germany came online this week and is still in the middle of a 1.2 billion euro investment to retool the plant for EV manufacture. Zwickau will eventually receive parts from a number of other Volkswagen uh, production facilities around the country, with Salzgitter, Hanover, Braunschweig and Kassel production facilities all contributing running gear, electric engine, suspension and more to the ID3. Zwickau, I believe, still produces petrol and diesel variants of the Golf and Golf Alltrack, uh, but from 2021 it will be exclusively building electric vehicles. Staying with Volkswagen and Reuters reports that Ford and VW have come to an agreement to share electric and autonomous vehicle technologies. The Volkswagen board met on July 11 to discuss furthering the alliance between the two companies, and it is expected that VW will share its electric vehicle platform with Ford. The US automaker currently only offers a limited range of hybrid cars and SUVs based on existing combustion engine architecture, so any assistance from VW should provide significant cost savings for both companies. Not only that, but with an incredible market reach selling almost 18 million vehicles combined in 2018, both companies have the ability to reach almost every single market in Europe and North America. Jim Hackett, Ford's CEO, was keen to point out, however, that Ford and VW will remain, quote, independent and fiercely competitive in the marketplace. Moving on to Toyota now, and the Japanese car company has announced a $2 billion investment to build EVs in Indonesia. This follows Mitsubishi and Hyundai announcing in 2018 that they too would be investing in the country. With a huge population, the largest uh, economy in Southeast Asia and considerable reserves of nickel ore used in lithium-ion batteries, the Indonesian government sees benefits in attracting foreign automakers and uh, it is understood that the tax benefits and tariff agreements will be in place to lure further EV manufacturers. Toyota's timeframe for an Indonesian production facility is for completion around 2022-23, but no information was given on the implementation of the investment. While some analysts, according to Reuters, believe that Indonesia's battery manufacturing ambitions are presently beyond what is achievable due to complex nickel smelting processes, it is expected that Toyota will continue to source its battery cells from partners with CATL and BYD, both based in China. Well, we don't get to talk about Fiat Chrysler automobiles much on the podcast, except for when they are purchasing emissions credits from Tesla. But during the week, FCA announced a 700 million euro investment in the Turin factory to produce an electric variant of the popular 500 city car. Full production will ramp up by Q2 2020, and Fiat expects to employ around 1,200 people solely on the 500e production line, pumping out 80,000 cars a year eventually. With strict EU emissions laws coming into play from 2020, we're now seeing a raft of new electric city cars being launched. The popular Renault Zoe is just about to launch in its second generation, and Peugeot, Opel, Honda and also Mini are all launching A-segment EVs in 2019-2020. BMW Group has unveiled its second fully electric vehicle, six years after the BMW i3 was launched to market. The Mini Cooper SE looks like a regular Mini, but sports an 18mm higher ride height to accommodate the battery pack. 
Now I've got to say I quite like the cute looks, uh, primer grey paintwork and bright yellow accents to demonstrate that this is not the regular version. Union Jack details in the taillights, uh, wheels that style themselves on a UK power outlet and a funky, albeit non-customizable, digital dash cluster are all pretty cool too. It's also apparently cheaper than the petrol Mini Cooper S equivalent, which is good news for those who, who will be putting off purchasing an EVV due to price considerations. It's not all sunshine and roses though, and one glaring uh, fat elephant in the room is the fact that underneath this brand new Mini lies the, uh, the six-year-old BMW i3. Now I can understand the importance of minimising capital expenditure for new models, but combined with recent outbursts from BMW board members saying no one wants electric cars and a very gradual approach to introducing EV technology, one could be mistaken for probably, I say, assuming that BMW AG is doing just the bare minimum when it comes to battery vehicles, uh, the bare minimum to meet emissions targets and to try to prevent customers switching brands. With a 33 kilowatt hour battery pack and a real world range of around 220 to 230 kilometers, the yet to be launched Mini is already behind competitors from Opel and Peugeot, who will be offering close to 300 kilometers of real world range from their respective EVs launching next year. In fact, Skoda's CityGo E even has a bigger battery than the Mini E with a 37 kilowatt hour pack, and Nissan's Leaf with a 40 kilowatt hour battery manages 270 kilometers in real world use. Also of note is that Opel and Peugeot's small cars will charge at double the Mini's pace. They will accept 100 kilowatt uh, fast charging and the Mini only accepts 50 kilowatts and therefore recharging time should be approximately half that uh, of the Mini's in the Opel and Peugeot or at least considerably quicker. Look, Mini customers assume that they will pay more than an equivalent VW Golf Opel or Peugeot. That's the price for the perceived quality and style from BMW's small car brand. That's fine, but a starting price of €34,000 for older technology, where the Opel and Peugeot vehicles are likely to start €4,000 cheaper, uh, begs the question, you know, are EV buyers actually going to purchase the Mini Cooper SE in significant numbers? Or is BMW just going to pick up a few sales here and there from current Mini owners? I'd be very interested to know your thoughts, so let me know, do you think the Mini E will be a sales success? And finally today, Tesla has taken home two major awards for its cars this week with awards for the Model S and Model 3. American magazine Motor Trend awards an annual Car of the Year trophy and has done so for the past 70 years. This week, Motor Trend named the Tesla Model S the ultimate Car of the Year for being, quote, testament to innovation and entrepreneurship, the very qualities that once made the American automobile industry the largest, richest and most powerful in the world. Over in the UK, Auto Express awarded its Car of the Year trophy to the Tesla Model 3, praising the car's performance, autopilot features, practicality and stating, quote, The problem with driving the Model 3, even for a short while, is that you'll immediately want to own one. This is now the new car to beat, electric, petrol or otherwise. Well, that's it for episode 13 of EV Brief. Thank you for tuning in and thanks to those of you especially who've left a positive review on iTunes in the past week. I really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to EV Brief on your favourite podcasting app and if you want to support the show in another way, you can head to patreon.com slash evbriefpodcast. I'll be bringing you some interesting content over the next few weeks with some interviews on the podcast lined up, so stay tuned for those. My name is Jonathan. Thanks for listening to EV Brief and have a great week. 